when a person gets divorced, when a person divorces, there are Islamic, Islamically there are certain obligations. If there's obviously any debts between them, then they have to be paid. That's a separate idea. But then in terms of obligations, the husband is still responsible for the wife until she completes the Idda period, which is three complete menstrual cycles or, you know, and whatever, that, or whatever uh, that situation is. Beyond that, he's not responsible for it at all because she's an independent, separate woman now. However, if there's children, then until they become stabilized for themselves, he's responsible for the children still. And in some cases, if the wife has to incur expenses in looking after the children, then obviously those are necessary expenses on the husband as well. They have to obviously work together to come up with a reasonable amount of, what, uh, of how the children have to be taken care of. This law that we have in various different countries where when divorce takes place, the couples, they take half of each other's wealth. That um, in order to... In, in order to avoid that, in order to avoid that, then a prenuptial is a very good idea, right? Because um, other th otherwise, there's a lot of misery. Uh, I, I know several cases where the wife is the one who's caused an issue to start with. He's got four million, and she wants to take two million, and not just two million. He wants, she wants him to pay the costs. Then, besides the two million half, she also wants then a stipend for her and the children who she's turned against him, right? For the rest of their life. Essentially, he's going to have nothing left. So, this is all unfair in that case. So, in that case, I would definitely recommend a prenuptial. Especially if you're going in with some money. For sure, you, you should definitely, I think it's a good idea to have a prenuptial agreement. Especially in countries where prenuptial agreements work. Unfortunately in England, the, the, uh, the default was that they're ineffective. Uh, although now, hopefully it'll change. Hopefully it'll change. Uh, this is, uh, if prenuptials are in force here, then, then you should use them. This is a really good question, and it's a quite the, the it's quite a bit of a struggle in the West, especially where a woman is not being looked after by the husband. He's not looking after her. He's not keeping her. He's not paying for her, and he's separated maybe even from her, or maybe he's there in the house, but he's not basically doing anything. She wants they should be divorced, really, but he's re refusing to divorce her as well. He's refusing to divorce her because he doesn't want her to get married again. So this is a punishment, this is haram. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, سَرِّحُوهُنَّ سَرَاحًا جَمِيلًا right? Either do imsak properly, which means either keep her properly, or let her go. وَإِن يَتَفَرَّقَ يُغْنِ اللَّهُ كُلًّا مِّن سَعَتِهِ And if they do separate, Allah will enrich each one of the two couples with His vastness. People don't understand this. So there's different abuse tactics that wives use and husbands use after a marriage or when marriages are broken down and these are all wrong so what should a woman do in that case because she can't just give a talaq to herself so generally the idea is that you go to if it's a muslim country you go to the court 
and they will look into it and if they realize that he's acting unreasonably and he's not willing to take her back and treat her like a proper wife, then they will force him either to give a talaq or if he's obstinate and doesn't do that, then they will dissolute the marriage, what we call fasqhun nikah. So they have the right to do that. In a non-Muslim country where you don't have Sharia courts, then generally what you have there or what should be set up are Sharia arbitration panels. I don't want to call them Sharia courts, although some people do call them and then the mainstream, they get worried that you are running a parallel court system. Although a Sharia court is not a parallel court system, it has no effect, it has no imposition power. It's just basically an arbitration panel, that's all it is. That when two people come together and say, look, we, we're going to make you an arbitrator and we want you to judge our case, that's all. That it doesn't have any right to send police or uh, to put you in prison or anything like this. So like in England, we have several like this. I don't know about Sweden. But in different countries, if there's not, then they should find a place like that or go to another country where that is the case. It is a bit of a lengthy procedure, unfortunately, because you will have to sign a you'll have to petition for them. You'll have to apply and tell them your story. They will contact or try to make contact with your husband, right, through his contact details. And they will try to ascertain because you could have any random woman coming to you and saying that I've got this problem, can you give me a divorce please? Oh yeah, you sound right, okay, let me give you a divorce and the husband doesn't know what happened. So obviously they have to do their due diligence. The more proof you have of these things, the better. If you've got evidences for these things, the better. So you go to, and if they find that the husband is just basically not playing ball, he's obstinate, he's punishing her, whatever, then if they can't force him, then they will dissolute the marriage. So it is a bit of a lengthy procedure, but that's basically the only way you can do it. Unless you can use, before, rather than going to the court, the more effective way, to be honest, is to use family pressure. People that are, can speak to them, can basically persuade them, uh, you know, in any legal way, obviously, to just give a divorce, get out, advise them, or whatever the case. What I would suggest in some cases, uh, for example, there was a woman who got finally divorced from an abusive relationship. Now, I've seen in many cases, even when there's an abusive relationship, they spend time apart because he's divorced her, and then they feel bad and they want to get back together. There's this weird relationship that they still have. Uh, they get time to think, maybe be uh, regret or whatever the case, so they want to get back together again. So on, in, one, in one case, the wife went to a scholar who she knew and said, look, he is insisting we get back. I don't mind getting back as well, even though she'd been complaining all along, right, before this. He said, okay, fine, look, what you should do now is if you do get back by remarriage, then you take the right of one option of divorce. So that if he does act like this again, under certain conditions, you can restrict it to a certain condition that if he does X, Y, and Z, if he beats me, strikes me, abuses me, or whatever, right, or doesn't give me money, whatever the case is, a particular condition, and he's handing over one of his options for divorce to her. But better get it like for your father or some imam or somebody third party so that you don't arbitrarily do it. Right? So that's what you call in Arabic, tafwidu talaq. You're handing over. It doesn't mean the husband loses his right, he can also divorce. But then he's extending the right to her or to her father or somebody else. So if X, Y and Z happens, he can immediately apply the divorce so you don't have to wait then. But of course, if you don't know in a fresh marriage that this is going to happen, then you can't do that from before. 
Meaning, you're not going to do that from before. You can if you want to. But if you're going to get a new marriage and you're going to tell them, I want you to give me one right of divorce from before, they're gonna, probably going to get scared. Like, why should I marry you if you're already threatening me with a divorce? What kind of woman are you? You see what I'm saying? So this is in a, in a case. I'm giving you just ideas and options for where this kind of a case uh, is, uh, becomes like that. The story is of that Sahabiya who said, I have no complaints about my husband from his deen perspective. Decent guy. Fulfilling Allah's commands and so on. But I don't want to do kufr in Islam. What that means, the meaning of kufr I take there is I don't want to be ungrateful as a Muslim. Ungrateful means that he's doing everything good, but I don't want to be ungrateful to him and there are various interpretations here, but one of the understanding is that she didn't like him. She just didn't have the compatibility. She didn't enjoy him, right, being a husband. So she says, look, he's a nice guy, and I don't want, because I don't enjoy being with him, I don't want to say something or do something that is going to be now ungrateful. So can I come out of the marriage? So the Prophet ﷺ went to him. Now, he didn't want to divorce her. husband didn't want to divorce her. But the, but the Prophet ﷺ, to act as an incentive, this is where you get khula from. This is where you get the concept of khula. She said to him, are you, uh, the Prophet said to her, are you willing to give him back the orchard that he gave you? He said, yes. Right? So this is where you're paying for a divorce. And that's just the procedure you can use. That If your husband, you can uh, pay him for a divorce, basically. Right? If that's the way to convince him. So that is where. So now the question here is that, the, the, the question that arises here is that when can somebody ask for a divorce? When should a man give a divorce? Under what cases? In what scenarios and what circumstances? And in what cases should a woman be asking for a divorce? Because to ask for a divorce in, when there's no problem, then that's going to sound a bit arbitrary anyway. So, if you just cannot be together, then you divorce them. Um, there's... Man, and some men are just really strange in this case. The wife doesn't want to stay with him and they carry on, they keep punishing them. One person came to me in a, in a program once, just several months ago, and he said, Sheikh, I need to speak to you. I've been trying to contact you for such a long time. And I said, look, my number's here. You, you can't call me. I don't have time to speak to you now after the program. So he called me and he says, do you have an hour? I said, I don't have an hour, but let's see. You tell me, I've got so many problems. I've got this problem, I've got this problem. I said, look, just focus on... The foundational, fundamental problems. What, what is the issue? So he said, he said, basically for three years, my wife hasn't been with me. And we've been separated for three years. I was like, three years? What's going on for three years? He said, well, she doesn't want to stay with me anymore and all the rest of it. And I'm trying to get her back for three years. I said, don't you get the message in three years? What's your problem? Why don't you just divorce her? He says, no, I don't want to divorce her. I like her. I want to be with her. I said, does she want to be with you? He says, no. So I said that, Three years is more than enough time for a miracle to happen. Maybe you stayed one month, maybe two months, maybe one year even. After that, don't you get the message? It's spoiling you, it's messing up your life, you can't sleep properly, you're saying, it's messing up your job, you're losing your job, or whatever the story was. I said, just divorce her. So, the, uh, when I told him that, and I said, in your case, you should be divorced, because now you're probably punishing her. And now it's probably wrong for you. Right? Think of the verse in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises that if they separate, if they do separate, Allah will enrich 
will give ghina, will give enrichment, independence from, and he's got enough resource to do that. Allah is reminding you, I have enough. A lot of men and women think that there's no life for me outside of this marriage. So they hold on, even though it's not working. It's not working. There's another person, he came to see me once after Juma. He says, uh, she wants out. I don't want her to be away. She wants to be away. Her parents, everybody. Uh, I, I said, do you think you're going to get her back? He said, no. But he says, I don't want to do the haram. I don't want to give a divorce. Because divorce is haram. I said, Abghadul halali ilallahi at-talaq. The most repugnant of the halal. So it's not haram. Right? When the case, when the scenario demands it, you give a divorce. You will not be sinful. She's already caused, if she is to blame, I can only speak according to what you tell me. In a lot of marriage cases, I, I don't make in most marriages, I don't make judgments. Because when you listen to the wife's story, you get convinced by her story. When you listen to the husband's story, you get convinced by the story. So you, especially if you ever listen to a marriage story, do not rush to judgments. The only time you can do that is if you sit them both, they both speak, then you understand where the problem is. And generally, both are to blame, generally speaking. I have seen cases, though, where only one side was to blame. And mashallah, that was such an interesting case that the husband said, she's a very good girl, she's everything, but I just don't want to be with her. And I've, I, I am the problem. I've only seen, I've, I, you do get those cases where one person takes all the blame. Do you see what I'm saying? But it wasn't helpful because he didn't want to be with her, so he divorced her. Right? <coughs> She really wanted to be, but then he wouldn't fulfill the rights and everything. It was complicated. So where it's necessary, we're not Catholics. We do give a divorce. And that's the best thing to do in that case. In the Catholics, they're not allowed to divorce. If they divorce, they're not, they can't be members of the, their particular church. Because, and in, in, uh, in Rome, in the Vatican, they're actually trying to figure out how to modernize this. It's very complicated for them. I went to the Vatican. This was one of the discussions I had with one of the, uh, with one of the um, uh, members there. And uh, it's quite difficult. for them. Islam is very balanced. You don't do it just arbitrarily, but where it's incompatible, just go for a divorce. Unfortunately, though, husbands, wives, they use these weird... The husband generally says, I'm not going to divorce you, I'm going to punish her. She asked for it, she messed it up, so she deserves it. I said, no. She's wrong, she'll be sinful. She's wrong, she won't have the barakah. But now if you keep her beyond that and you don't listen to the Qur'an saying, let her go, when it's all broken down, now you will also be sinful. Why do you want to be sinful? Why do you want to make a mistake? What the wives do on the other hand is they use the children against the... I've got a whole talk on I don't want to repeat this, but I know at least about 10 people very close to me, uh, not like close families, but in the area or people I know in different parts. Some of them are even scholars or educated people and so on, where they have, the men have not seen their children for years and years and years and years. Because what the wife does, in many cases it's the wife, in some cases it's the husband, the, it's called the malicious mother syndrome, or malicious, uh, the malicious per person syndrome or something like that. What that basically means is that when somebody gets divorced or separated, there's so much anger that you want to get back at them. And the only way you can do it is use the law in the West. And the law in the West, at least in England, and I, I don't know about Sweden, but in, in quite a few countries, it's very biased towards women, the mother. All she has to do is she has to claim that the father is doing this wrong or that wrong, and that's it, separation. Uh, sorry, 
the, the children until they prove it. The husband has to get a lawyer and he has to spend a lot of money. And even then, even if the, they say, okay, it was wrong, by that time, taken three months, five months, the mothers turned the child against the husband. So now they can't get back together because they say there's bonding process. And I said, I said there's about 10 cases that I know. To such a degree that one person who's, it happened to his friend, when he got divorced, his child was just born. In order to protect in the future, he said, I don't want anything to do with the child. Don't bring him to me. If you want to, you come and drop him off. But because he knew the wife is going to get back at him. So then after a few months, she said, you need to, look at, you, you need to see your child. He needs a father and everything. So he said, okay, fine. If that's what you want, come and drop him off. She said, no, he's not used to you. My brother's going to have to be there or something like that. And you see, she's trying to get back at him. She said, you either drop the child off or I don't want anything to do with the child. All of his family is against him. All of his uncles, father, mother is all against him. That How can you do this to your own child? How can you disown your own child? When he, I was feeling strange as well about this. But when he told me his story, I understand where he's coming from. He's seen too many horror stories. That the ex-wife will use that for the rest of their life against, against them. So he just said, it's better for me not to even develop a relationship with my child. I'm keeping everything on record. In the future, I'll show my child when that happens. Another case which is very advanced, mashallah, he, uh, after, I don't know, 10, 15 years, somebody I knew 20, about 18 to 20 years ago, finally his children are with him. The mother's family, they basically estranged the children. And he paid for them all along. He used to send money to them every, you know, uh, all the time. He used to send money for upkeep and everything. He did his part. And they would not let him speak, uh, see, then eventually speak or something like that. But finally, the child ran away from his, uh, because his mother died eventually. She was sick. And it was the extended family who carried on the problem, who were worse. Finally, alhamdulillah, came. Another couple, a big scholar, right? His, he hadn't seen his two daughters for, until they were 18. When they became 18, they reached out to him because now they were of legal age where they could do this and their mother didn't have a right over them. And now, mashallah, they've reconciled. So this is, uh, these are things that happen from both sides. And th- this is all haram and wrong to deprive. It thinks they, they're punishing the other parent. But what they're really doing is they're punishing the children because children need a stability of both parents even if they're separated. So th- these are really sad things that shouldn't be happening. See, as we mentioned, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us when we're getting married in the khutbatul haja, that taqwa is very important. And as I said, in marriage, you should try to do everything according to the sunnah. It's when you do things according to the sunnah that the barakah is going to come. Even if you think you know someone, even if you think somebody is compatible with you, you know, all the tests show it. When you get together, the only way that you'll have barakah and agreement is if Allah wants it to happen. That's why there's one person I know, right? Look at this story. There's one person I know who had read the hadith and everything. So he said that my marriage, I'm going to make sure I do everything 100% halal. Right? I'm going to do nothing wrong. So what he did was, 
in those days, this was many years ago, in those days, um, it wasn't a complete acceptable tradition to even speak to your wife, right, in some cultures. So while he saw his wife for about two minutes, but he'd done all of his due diligence, he had asked about her from, her fr from friends and other people, and so on, made a lot of istikhara. And after that, he just heard her speaking once. So he knew that she sounded okay, because he'd never spoken to her. In those days, I think they had, you know, the normal phones, uh, the, the phone lines. So while his sister was speaking to her once, he picked up the other and heard her voice that, okay, she sounds okay. Right? He was happy with that because, um, and he only saw her for two minutes. Then they got married. So she was from another city. So they, got, they did the nikah and everything. And then she, the tradition in them is that when the husband comes to pick you up, you sit at the back of the car with his sister and your husband, new husband sits at the front with his wife who will drive, uh, sorry, uh, your husband will sit with his friend, they will drive you home. So she was very tired, so she thought, okay, in the two hour journey, I'm gonna sleep in the back of the car because it's gonna be boring, right? So um, this person, what he did was, he changed the tradition. He said, she's my wife now. Why do I need to sit at the front and she sit at the back? That's a weird custom. She's my wife now. I can sit next to her. So he got his friend and his friend's wife to be in the front. And he even had a sheet that was put between the seats so he can get some privacy. I don't think he can, uh, he can afford a limousine with, you know. <laughs> so this was his way. Now he sat at the back and his sister thought that it's good to sit with them to keep them company, so she sat. So it's him, uh, it was his sister, and then the, the wife came and sat down, and she thought the husband was gonna sit at the front, but then he suddenly came and sat next to her. This is the first time that they're meeting, and the first time they're gonna speak. Imagine this, right? First time. But until now, he'd done everything according to the sunnah. He said that within half an hour, they broke the ice. Within half an hour, they started speaking as though they'd, and the woman is a very reserved woman, in general. But mashallah, he's saying that in half an hour, he broke the ice, and they're speaking as though they've known each other for 10 years. To such a degree that on the way back, it was Salat time, so they stopped at a roadside, you know, uh, cafe or whatever it is to pray Salat. And along with them was the other members of the family in another vehicle, in a bus or whatever. His sister felt now that I, I shouldn't be here anymore, so she transferred over to the other and left them alone. Right? This is what you call barakah. And alhamdulillah, it's, it's carried on like that. You don't want to do anything wrong in your nikah. And throughout your journey as well, at the end of the day, that's just your nikah has taken place. Now your, your husband and wife. Now you need to produce children. The big journey starts now. Both your relationship and your children. The children you're going to bring in. The tarbiyah of your children, subhanallah. That's a big issue. And the only way you're going to have good tarbiyah of your children is if you are living a life of taqwa. If, as I mentioned even yesterday, if the husband is flirting around, the wife is flirting around, or now they have a child and you're feeding the child and you're watching something that is silly, um, just useless, useless soaps, useless programs, uh, listening to haram music, 
while you're doing this, while you've got the child, while you're holding the child, husband or wife, whatever it is, all of this will have an impact. I know one person when they got married, he was so particular that he would not even take his child into a store if there was music playing. He would tell his wife, you stand outside with the child, I'll go and buy the purchase. Or his wife will go in and... He, wasn't, he didn't remain so strong afterwards. But mashallah, that first child of his is different. Everything you do in your married life will impact your children as well. Because that's... You are their first uh, madrasa. You are their first school. You are their training ground. They just see, they observe. And the less haram you have in the house, the less haram you bring in, the more barakah you get. Right? Yeah, taqwa is, is for everything. All your life will become better. Hayatun tayyibah is what we call it. But especially when it comes to husband-wife relationships. It's very important. And of course, if we make mistakes, you make tawbah. You repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So don't underestimate this. This relationship once you get married. Anything halal, you do it. Right? Once you get married, everything halal you should do. Are public displays of, uh, of affection allowed in Islam? Can we go around the mall like with their hands and then have a little kiss on the corner and all the rest of it as you, know, you see people doing? Right? So if you look at the life of the Prophet or the Sahaba, you do not see that anywhere. Right? Because remember, your personal life, your sexual aspect of your intimacy is a private thing. In private, do what you want. I've just explained it. But in public, it's not for everybody to see. That's why if it's not in public, you do not put it up on social media either to get more hits. That's just crazy. That, that is not something you do. That doesn't mean that you can't hold hands when necessary. If you've gone for Umrah, or whatever, and you, you think you're going to lose because so much is busy, you can hold hands, that's not a problem. But you just don't do it sexually. That it seems, because then that just creates idea in people's mind. You're not supposed to be there to show people that, hey, you know, we love each other so much. There's other ways to show that. You, you don't need to tell anybody that. That's why sometimes now on YouTube you have these Muslim couples, even Niqabi and whatever, they're trying to show affection to one another and then they get messed up. Right? It's just crazy stuff. Anything you do that's haram eventually is going to get messed up. So that's why our religion doesn't encourage public displays of affection. Just do it privately, that's good enough. Okay, I've got a question here before we carry on that side. Um, what are your recommendations regarding polygamy in the West? What about women who refuse and think it's outdated? So, you see, polygamy is obviously a sensitive issue, but let me tell, let, let me tell the women something. Right, from a man's perspective. If a lot of husbands talk about this, they're probably not going to do it. But they talk about it. I speak to men and they go on about it. And like, is that something you really would do? And while they may have this dream, but they probably will not have the, either the monetary capability or whatever it is to deal with that situation anyway. So most men aren't going to do it. Just remember that. From a woman's perspective, there's a woman who called me and her husband's done it. Now she's, the first thing that, and tell, uh, you, there's a lot of women here, tell me if this is wrong. The first thing that comes to your mind about when your husband is thinking about another one is that aren't I enough? Why? One big issue. This is my experience. I want to tell you from a man's perspective, I, I'll tell you a story. 
when I was in my last year, I wasn't married yet, of graduating as an, uh, in the Alim course, these other graduates had come who were married. And there was a program, so they'd come. And they're sitting there talking about second wives. I wasn't even married yet, but I said to him, like, what's wrong with you guys? Why do you guys always talk about second wives? Right? Like, you know, doesn't the one satisfy you? So there's one of them, I still know him, right? And I still remember this. He was very calm. He didn't argue with me. He turned and he says, are you married? I said, no. And he said, okay, get married. And then two years later, let's have this discussion. Right? So now, men, you can tell me if I'm wrong with this. It doesn't matter how good your wife is. Right? She could be literally the best woman in the world. This is, it's in a man, and that's why Allah has allowed it. That's why I see the wisdom of allowing, even though it, it, it can cause the other woman so much tension, still Allah allows it because men have this thing that even if you have the best wife, it's just a variety you want. Doesn't mean you have to do it, but I'm just saying that that's a need. Now, it, what I'm saying is generally whenever a man talks about this, the woman freaks out, and it just becomes... I'm only saying this to empower the women that firstly, firstly, do not think it could be that, but in most cases, it's not because you have a shortcoming. You could have no shortcomings, but your husband's going to be talking about that. Why I'm telling you this is if you can empower yourself to think that way, you will not freak out. You can have a solid discussion about it then without getting emotional about it. And if that, you have that discussion, you will empower yourself and you'll be able to explain to your husband why it's unhealthy or whatever the case is. Otherwise, if you're just going to become emotional about it, as most women do, like, man, that's an affront to me, right? I'm not, am I not enough for you? What's wrong with you? Etc. It's not a, it, it, it can't become a good discussion. They're going to keep torturing you with this, right? Men should not torture their wife about this. If you're not going to do it, as most of you aren't, right, you shouldn't keep bringing it up. Some men, some men can't just help it, right? They just, this dream that they bring up sometimes, all right? Um, but please, women, please try to understand that while it's not in the culture and all that, and it's illegal in the West to have a proper second wife. Anyway, it's illegal. But what they do is they just do nikah. So it's, it's not considered legally anyway, right? And that's how they make it halal as such. So... People do need to start looking at the fact that there's a lot of women out there. And mashallah, I mean, what I've heard from Syrian women who are not into polygamy in general, but those in the refugee camps, they're like, come and marry us. We don't care if it's a second wife or a third wife. Right? Because how else are women going to be looked after? How else are, you know, we talked about divorced women. How else are divorced women going to be looked after? In the time of the Sahaba, when it was just so easy, it was because those things existed. That's why the answer to a lot of this stuff is a bitter answer, right? But there's a whole framework chain that needs to take place, right? There's a whole framework uh, thing. I mean, there's a woman, she's been in a messed up relationship for such a long time. She's now out. She's been out for a long time, 10 years. And she goes, now I need a partner. I hated men. I don't want to be with them anymore. But now I realize I need. But I'm 50 or 40, 40. I think she was 40 and I've got three children. Who's going to marry me? Right? And then she was even considering marrying... Misyar marriage, which is not recommended, but basically have a, te uh, not temporary, it's you're married to somebody, but he's already married, 
with children. He doesn't want to make a full commitment of a full second wife. So he's basically saying that I can meet you, I can come and you know, be with you twice a week or something like that. And she says, well, that's fine. I'm already very, because a lot of divorced women, they become very independent. They don't want to be under anybody anymore. Right? So what I'm trying to say is that none of these things are standard recommendations. Is a, it depends on the individual and what the issue is. Of course, if somebody, uh, there are cases where the wife is not enough for him. Or she is, there's problems. Or she, he wants children, she just can't have children. Well, what, what a lot of men do is they just divorce their wife and get married to another person. I've got a woman right now, poor convert. Right? I really feel sorry for her. She was married... Uh, from Germany, she was married for, I don't know, 10 years or something. They couldn't have children. Finally, he just dumped her, divorced her, right? And another solution in that is you do nikah elsewhere and you keep both. Like, why can that not be possible? But for that, the women have to be prepared. All I'm saying is you don't have to. The wives of the Prophet ﷺ, when Aisha radiallahu anha, she would get very jealous. When... Juwayriya radiallahu anha was captured and people said, oh, she was told the Prophet married her. She went in a veil to look at her to see like, is she, does she look good? Right? And she was stunning. Right? And she didn't want to know. Like, you know, and uh, so they had jealousy. They used to do things and jealousy is a natural thing and that's understandable. That's not a problem. Right? But if you can just understand the core issue that men just have this thing, right? Even if you're the best woman in, in, in the world, then at least you don't feel like it's a personal attack on you. You can deal with it better, right? It's generally the elephant in the house, that discussion. You should just have the discussion and sort it out, right? And just not get perturbed every time because he knows how you can irritate you by just talking about that. And men should not do that anyway. But I'm trying to empower the women when silly men do that or they can't help doing that. Seriously, you know, uh, if the men do not know women's hormonal issues, right, you're, 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 you're going to have a problem. You need to understand it so you can have the sovereign tolerance. And you know, I didn't mention this, uh, you know, the Prophet ﷺ said, Istawsu bin nisa'i khayran, fa inna hunna khuliqna min dhila'in a'waj, min dhila'in, wa inna a'waj shay'in min dhila'i a'lah, right, fastawsu bin nisa'i khayran. My explanations of that, it's the crooked rib hadith, which perturbs a lot of feminists. But to be honest, Allah, uh, the Prophet is saying to men that, you know, you think, you know, when men, I don't do this, but when men get together and when women get together among themselves, there are certain things that they talk about men and women talk about and men talk about women. Now, what the Prophet is this is my understanding of the Prophet is saying that you men, right, listen carefully, you men, if you think your wife is crooked, Right? If you think, she doesn't have to be, because that's her nature. Right? That's her nature. That's not crookedness. That's her nature. But if you're in your sight, she is crooked. Then you're never going to be able to straighten her. Right? He's saying, if you think in your perspective she's crooked, that's her nature. You're never going to be able to straighten her. So you better treat her well and develop a relationship with that crookedness. Otherwise, if you try to correct her and make her like you, you're going to break her. Right? I think that's a wonderful understanding of the hadith. You can have whatever perspective, but make sabr with them. That's the way it is. You will never understand women fully. Right? Unless you've been married to like 20 women and you know, you, you really like become an expert. 
men will never understand women, but women will never understand men. But at least you'll understand if you can just take a lesson from the basics, you can get a better relationship. Right? Sabr, taqwa, patience. I think that, that should do it. Informal things like, okay, so shaking hands, hugging, chatting, joking, flirting. These are all close to zina, right? They say that uh, looking, of course, looking, uh, what else? Thinking, invol uh, thinking voluntarily, fantasizing. An involuntary thought comes, you can get rid of that because you can't help them, but you get rid of it. But voluntary fantasizing. You have, you know, men and women should be so careful about the way they speak to one another because the other side will think, you know, you're just trying to be nice. And the other thing thinks, oh, you're making an opening. So then they'll come on to you. And then you want to be polite, so you don't want to throw them off. Here, you don't want to be polite, you want to say no, cut it. Otherwise, you'll get drawn into it, okay? So let's make a, a dua and we end this majlis. اللهم أنت السلام ومنك السلام تبارك يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث اللهم يا حنان يا منان لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنا كنا من الظالمين اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى أهل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم يا أرحم الراحمين يا معدن الجود والكرم يا خير المسؤولين ويا خير المعطين ويا أكرم الأكرمين we ask you for your mercy. Ya Allah, we ask you for your special forgiveness. Oh Allah, we ask you for your special attention. Oh Allah, those here who are married, oh Allah, improve and enhance their marriages. Oh Allah, make their spouses and our children, our spouses and our children, our progeny until the day of judgment, a source of gladness and joy for our sight. Oh Allah, allow us to understand our weaknesses, our problems, our issues and correct them. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, make our defects clear in our sight. O oh Allah, subdue the defects of our partners in our sight. O oh Allah, conceal the defects of our partners in our sight so that we can have a happy married life. O oh Allah, we ask that you remove our defects. O oh Allah, we ask that you give us a blessing and barakah in our marriages. O oh Allah, those who are not married, O oh Allah, grant them righteous partners. O oh Allah, grant them righteous spouses. O oh Allah, those who can't have children, O oh Allah, grant them children. Oh Allah, those who want a blessing in their... Uh, oh Allah, those who want harmony. Oh Allah, grant them that harmony. Oh Allah, grant us all harmony. Oh Allah, forgive us especially those sins which have brought the darknesses in our homes. Those sins which have brought, uh, taken away the blessings from our homes. Those sins which have caused friction in our families. Oh Allah, those sins which are preventing the uh, good things from happening to us. Oh Allah, and especially those sins which uh, are, have become now part of our life and we don't even consider them sins anymore. Oh Allah, grant us beneficial knowledge. Oh Allah, grant us good experience. Grant us good surroundings, good friends. Oh Allah, and make our surrounding conducive for the worship of, our, uh, for the worship of you and for the practice of our faith. O oh Allah, accept our coming here together. Accept our spending the two days here. O oh Allah, make this a great source of blessing and barakah and enhancements in our, in our lives in general. O oh Allah, bless all of those who have established these places. O oh Allah, the, 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 the ulama and all the volunteers and 
all those who work tirelessly to make these things happen. Oh Allah, accept this program. Forgive our shortcomings. Oh Allah, surely we had shortcomings. Oh Allah, forgive our shortcomings. Oh Allah, any mistakes we have made, oh Allah, allow us to correct those mistakes. And oh Allah, allow many other good things to happen from this program and from this place. And oh Allah, unite us together in Jannatul Firdaus. Subhana Rabbika Rabbil Izzati Amma Yasifun wa Salaamun al-Mursaleen wa Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen.